0: Good morning good morning good afternoon good afternoon TLC good afternoon family good to see you guys welcome welcome good to have you here good to have you guys oh, welcome to TLC uh, we uh, a few of us just got back from the youth retreat uh, they're up there on Big Bear mountain last night uh, this weekend actually it was a it's a good retreat it was a great retreat uh, it required all three pastors uh, presence to be there that's how uh how lost our youth are so uh, we all had to come up there um yeah i'm i realize i'm old i'm really actually old I, I cannot hang anymore with these kids uh i lost my voice i think uh sort of last night uh yeah big bear man big bear is crazy like we we we're, were driving down at like like at 1am and right in front of me there was a car just drove He flipped over it was it was the longest hour of our lives, trying to push that car to the side so that we can get through. It was uh, everything happens weird in Big Bear with cars, and I, I realized that <laughs> maybe we stop going retreats up there. Something, something's going, something's going on. Maybe the Lord is saying this is it, this is the last straw, guys. Don't make it, don't make another one. Anywho, they're gonna be coming back a little later, uh, but it was it's good. Let me. Today is the last message of our series, uh, this, the, the, our first of our series this year, straining towards the goal. Uh, this. And, you know, every, every year in the beginning of the year at TLC, we, we like to kind of lay the kind of foundation, reminder of what is it that we believe in, what is it that we hold to, what is it that we, we strive for, what is it that we live for, and, and our, our vision, our mission at TLC, and I think it's, it's the same, uh, just said different words in every church uh, that preaches the gospel, is to love God, to love people, and to serve the world, right? And, and, and we, 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 we exist, for that purpose, it is to love God, to serve, to love the people whom he has placed before us, and to serve the world around us. And, and this last, past, uh, last week, I, I shared with you a message. So in, in light of that, in light of, in light of the truth that God is who he says he is, in light of the promise of what's to come, how are we to live now today? How, how are our characters and our lives look like today? What type of people are we to be while we wait? Last week I shared with you, you know, depending on what you believe about your future determines and dictates how you live today. Isn't it true? If you believe that you're going to get married in the future, hopefully, I think you would try to yourself to be a, if you, um, actually one of the guys in our, in our, in our church, the seminar on marriage, he said, if you, want, if, you want a, if you want a queen, you got to learn to be a king, right? And then vice versa, if you want a king, you got to learn to be a queen. I, I think he's, he's trying to use the vernaculars of the youth, but the, the idea is What you believe about your future dictates and determines how you live today. So if you believe that you're going to get married, you're going to be preparing yourself for what that marriage would look like, how you ought to be, how you can actually uh, sustain and hold to a marriage and grow in a marriage. If you believe that you are going to be successful or you're going to have some sort of work in the future, then the way in which you conduct yourself today and your studies and your work and your ethics and your character will match that. What you believe about the future determines and dictates how you live today. And I was sharing with us last week this concept, what, what we believe about our future is this. Those things are great, and those things are beautiful to plan and to, to, to think about, but they're a little short-sighted because ultimately there's a bigger picture to look for. And, and, and the author of uh, Peter, the apostle, he wrote that there will be a day When all these things will disappear, all the things on this earth, all the things in which we know will evaporate. And on that day, God will restore what he desires and has promised to restore. On that day, all right will be made right. All all injustice will see its day in court. All things that was done in evil. God is not He delays his justice. doesn't mean that he is not going to administer justice. And on that day, he will. And on that day, the sons and daughters of God, the Bible says there will be no more tears, no more pain. On that day, there will be no more sorrow before God will recreate and redo all things. And everything we have ever lived for, everything that we have ever known, will fade away as we gaze upon God that day. And so if we truly believe that to come, as we sang about the hymn of heaven, which I love that song, right? If we, sang about, if we truly believe in that future, then that should dictate how we live today. And last week I shared with you guys one of the ways in which we begin to live today is to be spotless and blameless. Your character and your reputation, your way of living, the holiness of it. How is your character? Your character is, is what people cannot see. It's on in the inside. Right? How is your reputation? That's what people see on the outside. Some of us, we are spotless, but we're not blameless. Some of us, we're blameless, but we're not spotless. Where we ought to be is spotless and blameless before our Lord. How are we in that, in that area? And the second way in which we are to live while we wait for that day is that we are to be a people of peace, people with the peace of God. If you know that this is going to happen, if you know that the trajectory of your life and what will come, and you know that all these things, whether you, however you do it, there is, a, there is a certainty that God will work out all things for the good of those who love him. There's a peace that whatever choice you begin to make, whatever journey you have, you can make it. You are free to make it. You should fight for it. But whether it wins or loses in our, in our mindset, there's a freedom and there's a peace that comes with it because we know that God is in control. So there's a peace behind that. Do we live as people of peace? So today, though, I want, to, I want to continue and finish up that um, message with this. What type of people we are to be while we wait? As Peter continues and finishes up his, uh, his letter, he says this. We are to be a people with a salvation mindset. And secondly, we are to be a people of the word. A people with salvation mindset and a people of the word. Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15. Let me read this for you guys. This is Peter speaking. He says, Since all these things will come to pass, bear in mind, think about it. Remember this. Hold this to your thoughts, that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with the wisdom that God gave him. The Lord's patience means salvation, Right? God is not long in bringing salvation. It's not that God is kind of sitting on his, on his chair, kind of like figuring out when I'm going to come. He's, he's waiting. He's extending the time period. He is long in his wait because he's wanting what he wants. He wants to see as many to come to know him as possible, as many to come to the realization that life was made to be in relationship with him. He wants as many to come to know that that aching that you have, that emptiness that you Whole, that, that 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 God-shaped hole in your soul that you use everything else around you, relationship, money, success, to fill, that can only be filled by his presence. And so he is waiting, and he's extending the period to make sure everyone has the optimal chance, optimal ability to hear and to know and to have this relationship with him, okay? In our, in our culture today, we celebrate... Uh, different ages of, of the world, right? We celebrate, like, for example, the Middle Ages. We call it the Renaissance, okay? The Modern Age, we have, like, the Industrial Age, the Machine Age, the Nuclear Age, the Space Age, and currently the Information Age, right? And we need, as a people, to have some sort of um, categories like this, so that we can have a coherence of time, and also, and also, we create these categories to help us see, or at least help us feel better about the growth of humanity. It, by by seeing this, this kind of different ages that happens along this historical timeline, it, it, it gives us this facade into believing that we are actually growing as humanity we 're actually achieving in our history. But for the people of God, for you and me, for the, those who call on God as their lord there 's only one age there 's only one age that we focus on, and it 's the age of salvation that 's marked from the first coming of Christ, and will end by the second coming of Christ. The way we live is marked by only one age. It's not marked by how well we did in the industrial age. It's not marked by what computers we did. It's not marked by whether we landed on the moon. It's marked by the age of salvation. The Savior has come. He has opened the doorway to God. And in the perspective of eternity... We're not going to be celebrating the moon landing. It's great. We're not going to be celebrating the AI achievements that we have. That's pretty cool too. But what we are going to have as the most significant thing is the first and second coming of Christ, the age of salvation. The only history that has eternal significance is the history of missions and the lives of the saints who lived knowing that this was the age of salvation. The only thing that's going to matter in the end, when we stand at the last moment, the only thing that's going to matter, the only history that we're going to like cheer on is not the history of how well we did as a human race. The history we will cheer, that we would celebrate the lives that we would know or the lives of those who gave their life knowing that in this time period, God has opened the door so that the world may know him. And the history is written to see who came into that realization. The patience of God is not justification for us to be procrastinators, right? It's not for us, oh yeah, he's uh, he's patient, so let's just kind of have a little fun before he comes back, okay? But rather, it's the reality that God does not want any to perish. And so he has set this time period for those to come. And here's the thing. What type of people are we to be while we wait, knowing that this, believing that this is the future, if this is true, how are we to be determined in living today? We are to be a people with a salvation mindset. Look, at, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me be real, right? I know I, I spoke a little bit quickly, but let me be real. I know that you guys hate wasting your time, right? I know because a lot of things we plan in church is not so that we can waste your time. Right? We, have, we have to figure out like, hey, will they feel like that's a waste of time? Like we, we have to make it feel like it's worth something for them, right? I know it sucks that way, but that's sometimes that's how we think, right? You hate the idea to feel like your time is wasted. So Sometimes we don't, I don't want to go to retreat, right? There's big things coming up. Why? Wow, it's just a waste of time. It's the same thing over and over. don't want to go to retreat, okay? I can retreat at home. But if you understand that, if you understand that concept, let me ask you this question. Then why are you wasting? If, if, if you are a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then why are you wasting your time building things in your life that will not last. Do you guys realize that? Whatever it is you're building in, your success, your future, your plans, your marriage, your relationships, your homes, whatever it is you collect, your cars, your material blessings, whatever it is that you are building into, if it has no eternal significance, it will not last anyways. So here you are, you're expounding how much I hate wasting my time. I don't want you to waste my time, PT, and yet you live with the same attitude of wasting this moment that you've been given. If you are building on anything that will not last for eternity, all of that will disappear. It will not last. Wouldn't that be the biggest waste of time, right? Logically, I think, right? If you're building on a success for your own personal glory and accolade, knowing that that will not last past your last breath, wouldn't that be the biggest waste of time? I, I, I was recently walking through a cemetery. Don't ask me why I was doing now. I was, I was looking for where my, my grandma bought a piece of land. We, my mom was trying to help me, tell me to help her find it. I was like, I don't, there's no markers, mom. I don't know where it is. But I was, as I was walking, I was reading all these, all these things, right? And I think the oldest one I saw was like 1880 something. I'm looking at that. I'm, like, I'm thinking to myself, everyone who knew this dude is dead, right? His grandkids are probably dead, right? His great-grandkids are probably dead. And probably, even now, there's probably no one who knows him. I hope, I pray, that what he built in this life lasted past eternity. Because 1887, right, and there's nothing there. There's nothing we have left for him. No one knows. It did not last past 2024. No one knows a lick of who he is. Just a marker, just a name and a date. I get it. Job is important. Family is important. Relationships are important. Yet if you are not building them for eternal value, then all this energy you're putting in, all this willpower, all this hope that you're putting in will be utterly of no value. If on that day, God comes and he wipes all those things away. Because the only thing that is built of holy substance will last past the gates of heaven. Only the things that are built of eternal quality could enter the gates of heaven. That's why you and me, we cannot enter into that gate by our own flesh and blood. We enter by the holiest of substance, the blood of Christ, that covers our sins, that allows for us to walk through those perfect gates. We are called to be a people of salvation, to have a salvation mindset. Yeah, you know, I'm sad that the my Buffalo Bills didn't make it past the second round again this year. Right? <laughs> I thought they would. They didn't. But we've been watching uh, my son and I. You know, he he, I try to you know um, encourage him with the Clippers, and he tries to encourage me with the Bills. And uh, you know, so we, we we watch a lot of interviews. And one of the interviews was uh, actually uh, it wasn't even about the Buffalo Bills. It was about uh, a tech, the Texan quarterback, um, CJ Stroud, right? We were watching about CJ Stroud, and and you know, he, he was listening to me, he's like, Dad, I think he's a Christian. I said, like, I'm pretty sure he's a Christian, guy. Right? He said, Why? It's like, why do you say that? I said, like, dude, the first thing he says is like, I want to give praise to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? And I want I want you guys all to know that, yeah, we didn't make it, but this isn't my platform. Football is not my life. My platform is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was like, Daddy, I think he's a Christian. He's like, yeah, it's, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious, right? You know? And, 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 as, and so I used that as a teaching woman, of course. I used that as I said, you know, we all have platforms. Did you know that? I said, yeah, you have one because you, you have to preach every Sunday. That's your platform. It's easy for you, right? I said, yeah, that's true. That's true. You're not wrong. You're not wrong, right? I said, but you have a platform too. I said, What? It's like, with, with Enoch? I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah, you have, but your platform is your, is your classroom. He said, Dad, you want me to stand up and like tell everyone I'm my, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior? I said, you can. It might be a little awkward. I said, yeah, it's really awkward, Dad. I was like, okay. Right? But you know, when you study, and you study well, and you study for the Lord Jesus, that's your platform. When, when you build... Your mindset of why you're doing what you're doing on eternal values. That's a platform. You're building with a salvation mindset. Says, oh. Does the mom have a platform? Yeah, mommy has a platform. It's her office. It's like, oh. And what I'm saying is this: we all have a platform. I don't, I, I get it. We we have to work. I get it. We, we, we love to be in relationship. We were built to be in relationship to each other. We want to be married. We want to be connected. We want to build into each other's lives. But the the thing I wanted you guys to remember is that while we wait, we are called to be a people of a salvation mindset. So if we're building a marriage that's not built that's going to have eternal qualities, it will not last. It will not last past the the last breath. If you're building a job and a work and and a legacy that has no eternal qualities... It will not last. So we have to begin to reevaluate what is it when we say that we are Christians and we say that we are believers, what is it that we are doing and li- how is it that we are living? Are we a people of salvation mindset? Because like I said, only that of eternal qualities can enter into the eternal home. Everything else will be burned and left to cinder. Secondly, we are to be people of the word, verse 16. This is um, Peter talking about Paul. So Paul, our brother, writes about the same thing. He writes about that Christ, that God is is, is patient in his salvation because he does not want any to... uh, uh, to perish. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters, matters of faith, matters of salvation, matters of God. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unsta- unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. People of the word. And so, what Peter was saying here was he's saying that he was first he's acknowledging that Paul was of, 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 of the same quality of apostolic uh, position. That him and Paul, they're, they're out there and they're preaching this gospel, this, this scripture. They're saying the exact same thing. They're, they're proclaiming this truth. Peter's not saying that he didn't understand Paul. Peter understood Paul. But he knew that Paul was smart. That Paul was a theological guy. That Paul said things that, you know, like, it's like how I always, like, make fun of Kevin and, and Paul for being nerds in our church. You know, I I, I, I love them for it. I, I make fun of them because I feel dumb. That's why, right? When I talk to them. So, like, like so... It's, it's, Paul has this has quality about him that he, that he knows these things. And, and Peter says, but people take what he says and they twist it. They distort it. They change the word up to their own destruction, of course. But in doing so, they lead so many astray. And so, and so one of the qualities that we are to have, one of the type of people we are to be is that we are to be a people of the word, to know it. Okay? Back then, to be a... Tr- uh, Back then, there, there, were, um, there was a group that came in who kind of kind twist the gospel that Paul and Peter and all the apostles were preaching. They came in. They said, you know what? To be a true believer, to actually know what Jesus' heart was, you must continue with the Jewish ceremonial laws. If you're a dude, you got to get circumcised. Right? You got you to continue with the Passover. Was. You got to do the dietary laws and the, uh, the cleansings, all of that, if you are going to be a believer. And so they took the gospel that, that Paul preached and they twisted it, they distorted it, and in so doing, led so many people to be confused and then astray because they, they propped something up that was not true gospel. And Paul said this, and this actually, I was, I was gonna just uh, kind of give you a, a quick summary or a quick um, highlight about some of these things, but during Thursday night prayer, uh, I was inspired by a, a, a passage that Peyron put up and, and I think some of us know this passage. It says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's a very nice captive, right? We take captive every thought make it obedient to Christ. But there was a, there was a beginning part of that verse, right? The beginning part of the verse is this. We demolish arguments. So it's not like, hey, we, we kind of, you know, debate them. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And why did I say that? Because there, I, I want to uh, today kind of highlight a, a, um, a, a gospel infiltration, I, I guess, a, a gospel distortion that has come into the church as of late, that has ravaged the, the minds of a lot of young youth in college, even some young adults in our community, that, that, that has, has done its work in such a way where a few of them actually has renounced their faith. And it's desperately sad, and, and and it's um, it's it's a group. So if, you, if this is your first time at TLC, I'm sorry, okay? Because I'm going I'm just gonna be a little uh, little teachy here for a second, right? This this group is this is kind of um teaching call, we call it progressive Christianity. It's called progressive Christianity, and progressive Christianity sells itself off as a valid option for Christians. It's a valid option because it's, it's Christianity that seems to be more inclusive. It's a Christianity that seems to be more palatable. It's a Christianity that seems to be more inward, focused, and loving. But at the heart of it, it really isn't Christianity at all. It isn't really the gospel at all. It isn't really the message of Christ at all. It wasn't the message that has been preached by Peter, by Paul, and by the saints of old, by 2,000 generations of sons and daughters who are faithful to this text but let me share with you some symptoms of progressive Christianity, okay? And I share this with really trepidation. I know that some of us are kind of maybe in this room maybe leaning towards that. And I don't, want to, I don't want to say this as in terms of like I'm being argumentative or being hateful in this process. But God's word tells me that I'm to demolish arguments that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And so when these, when these progressive Christians come up and say this is how... Christianity is always meant to be, is, that has to be broken or else it's people led astray. So here's some of the few symptoms. If you guys want to follow, I have the notes up there, right? Progressive Christianity symptom. First symptom is this. Faith is celebrated. Faith is celebrated, but not the faith. Okay? What does that mean? So for a progressive Christian, for a, pro- a progressive Christian sees faith as a substance in you to be nurtured. I have faith. I have faith. Something that I wanna, I wanna keep. That's why when a progressive Christian says, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think I really fully follow after Jesus Christ and the resurrection anymore. But I don't want you to worry because I still have faith. Because faith is not a faith in something, towards something. Faith is just a substance that they can nurture, a feeling that they can have to hold on to. Therefore, a progressive Christian doesn't mind abandoning doctrines. They don't mind abandoning truths. When when a progressive Christian says, you know, I I finally feel liberated because I let go of the resurrection of Jesus. I finally finally feel free about that. Why do they do that? Why do they feel that way? Because faith is not in something. Faith is a substance to be nurtured. For evangelical Christians, Christians, from Protestant Christians, we see faith as teachings to hold on to. We have faith, we have the certainty, we have the assurance in something. Not just a feeling of something, but the certainty and assurance in something. We put our faith in an object, and that object is the truth of who Jesus Christ says he is. Our faith is directed, a progressive Christian's faith is just nurtured inside. A second symptom. I want want to share with you guys a symptom and I want to share with you what I believe is at the heart of a progressive Christian's mindset. Second symptom is this. Belief in Jesus can be both orthodox or blasphemous. Belief in Jesus can be both traditional or blasphemous. There are some progressive Christians, uh, like evangelicals, they'll they'll say, yeah, I do believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he died for my sin-ish, right? Others... Right, so, you know, he, he, Son of God, died for my sins, second person of the Trinity, great, I believe that. Other progressive Christians will say that, you know what, Jesus Christ is really more like a big brother. And he set the example and the pattern for us to follow. And what we should be doing is following after his example. Okay, Sermon on the Mount, we love that stuff. All about love, all about that, we all about that. Okay. And so if, if two progressive Christians come together and says, hey, I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that's great. I really don't. That's great, too right? We can, we can work together in that. It's your discovery. It's your journey of figuring out who Christ is. Do you know why they can do that? Why they can hold two dichotic views of Christ? Because for progressive Christians, it's not about Jesus. It's not about Jesus. For evangelicals, it's all about Jesus. It's, it's who Jesus If Jesus is not who he says he is, then everything that we have means absolutely nothing. But for progressive Christians, they can hold a dichotic view of who Jesus is. Because at the heart of what they truly want, it's not Jesus. Jesus is there to kind of help approve of what they are looking for, okay? So they're open to that That call of view. But you know what? They're also not open to, they're, they're, they're open to this idea like, hey, Jesus can be both orthodox and blasphemous. But if you are not affirming of what they hold to. Right, this is, well, if you're not affirming to our views of, for example, gender orientation, then you're out. But you can be open about Jesus, but you can't be open about that. Because that is solid in our doctrine. That's solid in the way we think. You cannot exclude that. Progressive Christians, third symptom, they love God, their love for God is defined differently. For a believer, we, we say, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love your neighbors as yourself. A progressive Christian will flip that and say, if you are not loving your neighbor, if you are making them feel bad about who they are, if if you're telling them, I love you as a person, but I hate the sin that you have, you're hurting them. And because you're hurting them, you must not be loving to God. They take the great commandment of love, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength first, and then love your neighbor As yourself. And they flip it to say, if you are not loving your neighbor, if they don't feel loved by you, then the reality is you are not loving God because God definitely affirms them. God affirms their story. That's why, for for a progressive Christian, stories become truth telling. They'll tell stories, hey, look. Look at this couple. Look at this person. They were so trapped in the confines of the Christian Orthodox doctrines and life. And and, and they felt so biased or hated against. They felt so narrow. And so finally they got out of that. And and, and they were able to express themselves. and And they're free. And now look at them. They're happy. So why would you want to stop that? Why would you be so evil in stopping that? And if you are stopping that, you cannot possibly be loving God. Stories become truth. And then, if you offer the counter story, well, I, I have a counter story. That there are people who are out there who realize what they've done and who they are and found solace and strength and hope in the community, in the church. Their response will always be Hey, I'm glad that worked out for you, but don't impose that on another person. Don't impose that onto them as the truth. And what's my response to that? It's very simple Are both stories true? Yeah, both stories are true. But your personal satisfaction does not make something true. Your sense of personal satisfaction in a thing doesn't make that thing true. Both stories, I will, I will claim both stories are absolutely true. But our personal satisfaction does not make it true. Let me move on. Fourth thing, four symptoms of a progressive Christian is they're very hypocritical of evangelical Christians. And some of these things are actually valid. I want want, want you guys to know that progressive Christians, they're critical of the evangelical Christians' um, idea of purity culture, right? They believe that gender view have been oppressive to women. The evangelicals are too political. Either you're a MAGA or Trump lover. Evangelical Christians avoid therapy, that they're anti-science. And and, and to a degree, to a degree, there's truth in a lot of those criticisms. I'm not going to say that evangelical Christians are like, you know, we we got it all together, right? No. There's definitely truth to a lot of these criticisms. But to say that the criticism then therefore determines the whole thing is false. Your parents may have done some messed up things in your life. But to conclude that they are horrible parents doesn't follow. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You guys following me? You can't, just because, and, and this, is such a, this is such a telling, this is actually a foreshadowing of what truly is at the heart of a progressive Christian. You guys see it? If they can find just one thing wrong, then everything about you must be wrong. Does that sound familiar? Our woke culture? If we can just find one thing wrong about a person, something in their past that they've done, and a mistake that they've made, and then somehow that, that one mistake defines their reality. And so uh, so progressive Christians, they they, they take the mistakes, and yes, there are mistakes that the church has done because we are broken people. They take the mistakes and they label it as, therefore, this must be wrong, and they set themselves up as, we are the better alternative to what Christianity is. Fifth symptom, that the Bible is important for some spiritual truth, but it's majorly flawed. The Bible is important but it's major, they can't deny Jesus and they can't deny the Bible because if they deny that, they can't call themselves progressive Christians. Okay? They, they don't have to just call progressives. Okay? So the Bible and Jesus is in the picture, but the Bible and Jesus is just a tool for their ultimate desires at the end. So the Bible for them is, is, is spiritual. It's true. I'm down to look at the Bible. There's a lot of good stuff in here. Love your neighbor. I'm all for that. right? Love your enemies. I'm all for that. But the big, uh, the big push that they have against Scripture okay, is, is they'll take God's word, they'll take the, the plain meaning of the text, and they'll say, you know what, but there's an inner voice in me that tells me, that, that will tell me whether this text is true or not. So they'll read something, and they'll say, something in me tells me that this is not true. Something in me tells me this is not right. Therefore, I will reject this. And They'll read another text, and well, you know, something in me tells me that this is good. I'm going to receive this. Therefore, the authority is back on them, not actually on the scripture. They'll take something like, for example, you know, Jesus doesn't even like the Bible. They'll say something like, Jesus doesn't even like the Bible. You know, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, you've heard it says that an eye for an eye, but I tell you, turn the other cheek, right? And so Jesus says, hey, Jesus, eye for an eye is from the Old Testament. Jesus says, you heard that? That's all wrong. This is the truth turn the other cheek. But if you understood the scripture in context, all you got to do is open it up and read in context. Eye for an eye is not about this idea of vengeance. You're not, you're not supposed to go around just poking another person's eye out just because they did something wrong to you, right? An eye for an eye was a punitive damages that you had to pay if you, in the justice system. If you, did, if you took someone's cow, you're going to have to repay their cow, right? If you robbed their land, you're going to have to repay with the land. It's, it's, it's an equal payment, equal measure for what you did. Jesus says... But some of you guys, you took that law and you're making it about vengeance. You're making it about vengeance. So I'm telling you that law was for that. Do not use it for the idea that if someone hurts you, you have the right to hurt them back. He's not disregarding the Old Testament. He's fulfilling it and making it deeper. And so the problem with most progressive Christians are the authority of, The authority is on the person's inner thoughts about the word word of God, not actually on the word of God itself. And here's a quote from a a very famous one, or at least the only few famous ones left, right? I think her name was um, Linda Boyd. She says this. This is a telling sign. I'm almost there, okay? Hang, Hang in there. Maybe Eve was never meant to be our warning. This is her writing. Okay, Maybe Eve was never meant to be our warning. Maybe she was meant to be our model. Own your wanting, eat the apple. Right? Eat the apple. So, first of all, you know she doesn't read the Bible, because it's not an apple, right? It's a fruit, but you know that's that's how it is. But the guiding factor for a progressive Christian is the inner voice, it's the inner, inner whatever it is that they feel is the inner desire for them. So here's 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 the ultimate conclusion here. What is driving the heart of a progressive Christian. It's not the gospel. See what they are proclaim- what, what is being proclaimed is not the gospel, is a gospel distortion. It's a distortion of the word of God. For a progressive Christian, sin is no longer what's wrong with the world. You know what's wrong with the world? Unrealized ambition. I have something in me that's not realized. I have something in me that's hidden. I have something in me that needs to be seen, that needs to be shared, that needs to be known. My inner need is spiritual. Therefore, it's liberating when I can finally cast off the shackles of these doctrines that has kept me down. And what God truly wants for me is to be able to express and forge my own destiny into this world. My inner sense of goodness becomes my spiritual authority I'm the hero of my journey. That is at the heart of a progressive Christian's mindset. That's why as a progressive Christian, progressive Christians, you never see them live a lifestyle of progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity is a way for them to get out of the church and then eventually disappear from the church. There is not a progressive Christian that's actually around and still, you know, say, hey, I'm a strong progressive Christian. Eventually they, they come from I'm not I'm not bounded by the church anymore, I'm not bounded by this community, I'm not bounded by these doctrines. I can do what I like. I have church at a bar. That's great, that's cool. I'll hang out with people. I love God. And eventually it's like, you know what? God is God is God is everywhere. We don't have to be there. And eventually the trickle-down effect is that they eventually just walk away from the church. Progressive Christians are and, and here's what's so sad. You know, like I some of these parents had talked to me about it. and and it's, 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 so, it's so sad because the way in which their kids speak to them, the parents are like, oh, you have faith. That's good. As long as you have faith, you're fine. But they don't ask the question, who do you have faith in? Right? But that, I, I, you know, I, I still want this. I, I still love Jesus. I still, it's okay. But they hear these simple words. And they think that they, it just encompasses everything. And they don't realize that their child is slowly actually walking out the door of a life that God has given to them. And here's the ultimate thing, okay? A progressive Christian is truly just informed by the culture. Isn't that what the, the spirit of our culture and our age is talking about? You do, you boo, right? Right, You be the queen, right? You're the hero of the journey. Think of any movie you watch. There's always one person who realized some inner thing about them, steps up and becomes the hero of the story and the journey. And that is the message that is being proclaimed and that's the message that has been hijacked, and then distorted, and then passed off as gospel, as the good news. What's my point? And, and, and I, I'm, I went off on this, not because, you know, I feel like you guys need to hear it. You guys do need to hear it, but part of it is it's, it's for my own rant, right? It's because, you know, as, as I go through this, I realize something about me. I realize probably I'm, we must have done something wrong. Right? We must have done something wrong. That we have people that have high respect for the word. This, they love, this is God's word, but they have low thought of it. You know, you guys know what I mean by that? You, you have high respect for it. It's like, oh, yeah, the Bible is God's word, but I have low thought, meaning I don't actually read it, I, I don't actually know it very well. I believe it's God's word. I mean, you tell me, I believe it. We're in the community. I read you know, passages. I have high respect for this word. But I know it very little, right? And, and, and part of that is, is my job is to equip you for the work of ministry. And if you're equipped to somehow leave the church, then uh, I messed up, right? And so what are we to be? While we wait, Scripture says we are to be a people of the Word, not to be dis- not not to, not not to get distorted by what's out there, but to know the Scripture, know the salvation that is promised to us, and to live it. And here's the thing: look at verse 17 and 18. This is what he says: verse 17, chapter uh, chapter two, chapter three. Sorry, verse 17, to 18. He says, "Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this." Since you already know, and now I hope you know, right? This, be on your guards that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever, amen. The antidote to deception and destruction is this, growth and grace Is is growth in the grace and knowledge of Christ. The antidote from deception and destruction is to grow. It is to strain forward. It is to press on. It is to grow in your maturity. It is to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. To know Him so deeply, so intimately. That it, it no longer becomes word, but a living reality and a living relationship. That grace is no longer just a thing you use so that you can sin on the weekends. But grace becomes the very, the very driving force of your desire to live in holiness before God. The antidote to deception and destruction is to grow. You got to grow, church. That's, that's our whole theme for this year, if you guys did not know, right? It's to grow. We need you guys to take steps to grow. Grow in the grace. Grow in the knowledge. Grow in your reality of Christ. Not just to be passive about it, but to have a hunger. See, I'll give you an illustration. As a parent, when you withhold something your child really wants, something you know seems innocent to them, but will cause destruction, that that, that, that deceives them, and you know that that if, that if you hold it from them, they throw what? They throw a fit? They throw a tantrum at you? And they even would dare say something like this, you don't love me, right? And, and when you hear that, as a parent, you're like, bro, I'm about to, I'm, I'm about, I don't love you, right? There's, a, there's like a knee-jerk reaction in your heart that says, I'm about to beat you right now. I don't love you. If you only knew what I had to give up for you, right? If you only knew the sacrifice, the things I would help myself in order to raise you. If you knew what your mother and I have done, you would never question why I'm withholding this from you because you would know that my motive to keep this from you is for your flourishing, not for your destruction. And because you do not know that, because you have forgotten that, because you have not grown up in that, you question my my motive. You question why I'm taking this from you, why I'm not giving it to you. You question my loving motives. if we would sit at the foot of our Lord Jesus, if we would grow in the knowledge and grace of what he has done, what his sacrifice was about, what harm we truly were in and what he had to do, the cosmic separation he had to endure, the agony of the death on the cross in which he held on to, we would not be living this way, deceived by the different voices around us, but actually living. Actually living with purpose. Living to deal with our sins that we may be spotless and blameless. Living with peace. Living. Living in a a way that that, that a people of the word. Living as a people with a salvation mindset. If we would know what our God had done, if we would have grown into the knowledge, into the grace of what that is, it would propel us to be a different people. So my prayer for us this year at TLC, and this is why I am trying to get you guys I'm calling for, I mean, a, a, a EM fast during this Lent season. It's not just so that we can do something cool, right, because it's not cool, right? That you would that you would seek the face of God. That you would seek God's heart. That we would seek God's heart together. For the purpose of, of, of not just kind of going through the motion of a church. But that we would seek God's heart together. Seek his face together. Seek his favor together. Seek his voice together. That we would go and be a people. A people who live understanding that this is what the future holds. And therefore the way we live today determines our actions, the way we live today is transformed to a people of holiness, a people with purpose, a people on mission, a people whom stories will be told of old that they gave their life for the gospel of Christ. That's my prayer, that we grow 2024. Would you press on? Will we no longer stay stagnant, distorted by the, the messed up voices of our ages? and grow into the salvation which God has bought for us by His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.